So, uh, so good to see Pastor Rob, uh, not only hearing his voice, but knowing that he's volunteering again with Willingdon School of the Bible and Ministry. Let's keep praying for him. There's some great opportunities there to go deeper in your understanding of the Word of God, some courses being offered, a club. Uh, here's another one. Uh, January 27th and 28th, so Friday night, January 27th, all day Saturday, we're going to have a Bible conference here. Um, Have you ever uh, wondered how the whole plan of redemption fits together from beginning to end? So uh, there's a framework in Scripture for this plan of redemption, and it's a series of covenants. So a covenant with Adam, and then with Noah, and with Moses, David, and then the new covenant through Jesus. How do all of these pieces fit together? Well, there's going to be a conference, as I said, January 27-28. Dr. Dan Block, renowned Old Testament scholar from Wheaton Graduate School, will be here with us, and he'll be looking at those different covenants, how God spoke in history, how God continues to speak, and how this whole plan of redemption fits together and we, where we find ourselves in the story. Okay, so mark that on your calendars. If you want to take the seminar, the conference, Uh, You need to go to our website and register for it, okay? Let's read the Word today, Philippians chapter 4. Thank you. Uh, Please stand with me as I read from the Word. Philippians 4, verse 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Mark, for reading today's passage. And uh, let's just pray as we uh, begin to walk through these verses. Father, we are so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the gift of your written word. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are present by your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. And so may our hearts and minds be open to receive all that you have for us. May we understand your word and know how to put it into practice in our daily lives. And may we not only be equipped, may we know how to encourage others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you probably heard the uh, prohibition in that text. Don't be anxious about anything. There you have it. Just don't do it. It's wrong. And maybe you immediately ask, well, how is that even possible? How do I still those anxious thoughts that roll around in my mind in the middle of the night? Now we're a little bit anxious about not being anxious. What is anxiety? Anxiety, it's that uncomfortable feeling within us in relation to something that is happening or maybe is not happening or is about to happen. It's that feeling of, of fear, of, of worry, of nervousness. 
it feels like life is a little bit out of control, or maybe really out of control. Now, there is a healthy anxiety which motivates us to get up in the morning and plan the day and study for an exam, apply for a job. That can be good. But then there's an unhealthy anxiety that just wears on us and it harms us and it actually affects our relationships with other people. Paul's talking about unhealthy anxiety in this passage. We live in a world full of unhealthy anxiety, right? At the beginning of the pandemic, in May of 2020, uh, there was a National Post article with this title, Coming Undone, What COVID-19 Pandemic Policies Have Done to Our Psyche. And journalist Sharon Kirkey, she shares the findings of a survey done by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Here are some of the results. 25% of Canadians are experiencing moderate to severe levels of anxiety. 20% report feeling depressed. Women, parents with children at home, and younger adults, the 18 to 39-year-olds, are faring worse than others. So, according to the survey, one in four anxious, one in five depressed. That survey was done two and a half years ago. What's happening today? That same journalist, Sharon Kirkey, she writes an article in the National Post again. It was published on December 28th of last year. The title of the article, How COVID Lockdowns Messed With Our Brains, Increasing Anxiety and Depression. And so it didn't get better, it got worse. And she asks Israeli neuroscientist Ellen Shen this question. How has living through the pandemic affected our mental states? In response, Shen says this. Just look at the number of people all the way from very young kids and adolescents to more elderly people you can see a dramatic increase in mental health states. Mental health institutions are now so crowded, it's reported again and again in Western societies and all over Europe and in Israel, there is quite a clear consensus of this effect. The age group that was most affected was young adults, 20 to 30, rather than the more elderly. So, You can look at these surveys or these articles or just observe life around you and you'll acknowledge that people are anxious. We are often anxious. If we go by the survey, then at least one in four here this morning is anxious. All of us experience anxiety at some level. What are we to make of Paul's prohibition this morning? Well, first of all, I would encourage us to just hear the prohibition. Paul says it for a reason. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And this would lead us to believe that there's actually a way to live that is not ridden with unhealthy anxiety. There's a better way. The church family in Philippi could have easily dismissed Paul's counsel. They found themselves on the margins of Philippian society. They had very real physical needs. If that were not enough, there was a Jewish sect that was really upsetting their church family life. This sect was saying that they had to become Jews if they were going to follow Jesus. And what would that mean for their identity? Most of them were not Jews. And if that were not enough... Some of their leaders were at odds, and so they were facing the trauma of internal division. 
They had every reason to be anxious. And we might say the same thing. Uh, the McLean's 2023 issue reads as follows. Early 2022 carried the promise of a joyful, back-to-normalish post-COVID life. Then a tsunami of gloomy news dampened our optimism. And McLean's goes on to talk about things that we hear about all the time. Inflation, housing and affordability, the healthcare crisis, war in Ukraine, climate disasters, polarization in politics. What generates our anxiety? Well, experts would say that they have not been able to identify the gen genetic code of anxiety. In other words, the fingerprint of anxiety in our DNA. They haven't been able to identify it. But they have been able to study the impact of environmental challenges on us. And when we talk about environment, we're talking about everything that we eat, drink, watch, read. We're talking about the climate of our relationships, the climate of our family, our city, our nation, our environment. And if we're alive every day, we do face environmental challenges. Now, there is a healthy response to environmental challenges. It's a survival response. And so our heart rate increases, our blood glucose and cortisol levels go up, our brains flip into action, our thinking patterns change. There can be a very healthy, good way to, response, or a good way to respond to a challenge. When we're just trying to cope with the challenge we face. We're alive. <laughs> but anxiety, it can become very unhealthy when it turns chronic. And so the stress of ongoing isolation, ongoing re relational stress, ongoing uncertainty in relation to the future, the stress of these seemingly never-ending environmental challenges becomes especially acute when we don't know what to do. What do, we, what do we do when we don't know what to do? You ever been in that situation? Middle of the night, anxious thoughts rolling through your mind and you cannot calm them. What do you do? Well, that's why we should listen to Paul. What was he facing? when he wrote these words, when inspired by the Holy Spirit, he penned these words, do not be anxious about anything. Well, he was in a Roman jail cell. <laughs> His life was in the balance. He might live, he might die. And if that were not enough, there were people in Philippi trying to make his suffering even worse. So Paul had every reason to be anxious, to despair. Note that Paul doesn't just say, don't be anxious. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And that phrase, the Lord is at hand, changes everything. It carries two meanings. First of all, when we say that the Lord is at hand, it means that the Lord is near. The Lord is with us, supporting us, caring for us. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says that the eyes of the Lord are searching, <laughs> roaming the earth, looking for those that he might support, those who are committed to him. 
The Lord is at hand. Secondly, when we say the Lord is at hand, it means that His coming is near. Then we're talking about the God who has the whole story in His hands from beginning to end, and His return is near. He will set things right. God's people can rest. The Lord is at hand. You see, Paul knew this presence of God with him, God with him, Emmanuel. He knew the reality of what Pastor Brody preached about last weekend, that resurrection power, living by it. He lived Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He knew that joy. He knew the peace of God. We need to take a few minutes to listen to him. As I said, in that Roman jail cell, God was with him, Emmanuel. No one could take God from him. His heart was filled with peace. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. You trust in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. That's what Paul experienced. Paul, he's directing us to a deep peace that can be held always. Because it doesn't depend on changing circumstances. It depends on the one who doesn't change. The one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me say that again. Paul encourages us toward a deep peace because it doesn't depend on changing circumstances. It doesn't depend on the environmental challenges we're facing today. It depends on the one who doesn't change. So that's where Paul begins. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. We're to live out of our union with Jesus. We're to live out of the presence of God within us. The one who has the whole story in his hands from beginning to end. To not be anxious, we must nurture that presence of God within us. Nurture the presence. And for the rest of the message, I want to talk about how we do that. Because it sounds like a wonderful idea, nurture the presence. But how? Paul provides a pathway to doing this. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, he says. So he's inviting us into a a daily exercise, something that we are to practice every day day in every circumstance. Now, there are many who will encourage us to practice different exercises. If we go to talk to somebody about anxiety, many people will have different forms of counsel for us. For example, the neuroscientist that I referred to earlier, Alan Shen, he would say, the best thing that you can do for anxiety is physical activity. So apparently, regular physical exercise will do something in our brains. It will stimulate the development of brain cells that are very relevant to our emotional well-being. A regular exercise routine, he argues, decreases our stress and improves mental health. And there's something to it. I would encourage us to have a physical exercise routine. It's extremely beneficial. I enjoy running. Maybe you enjoy doing something else like walking or cycling or swimming or Chinese dance. I'm serious. Find something you enjoy and practice it on a regular basis. 
Get out there. See the world around you. But physical anxiety, sorry, physical activity, it doesn't deal with the root causes of our anxiety. So I may go for a run and feel good for a bit, but my run will not deal with the root causes of my anxiety. Paul commands us to pay attention to the things that cause our anxiety, that generate those anxious thoughts. Let your requests be made known to God, he says. Rather than ignoring our worries or suppressing our emotions, we are to identify what causes our stress. And so I find it very helpful to think about the things that are causing my anxiety and to write them down. Because often they're just on repeat mode in my mind, and it really helps to just get them out, specify them. These are the things that are causing my anxiety. What has generated anxiety in my short life? I find that each phase of life is full of challenges and reasons, multiple reasons, to become anxious. As a young boy, going to a new school where I didn't know anyone, getting good grades, my parents stressed that. People telling me that the world was going to end tomorrow. Yes, people told me that when I was a boy. So if you're young, this is not the first time in history that people are saying the world is going to end. For me as a kid, that generated anxiety. Strained friendships, not living up to my parents' expectations. As a teenager, I experienced these same things, but only on a deeper level. Added to it was this thing about figuring out who I was. (laughs) As a young adult, the anxiety of deciding which career path to follow, what I should study, and then studying for exams. Should I marry or shouldn't I? Whom should I marry? I did really well, by the way. Whom should I marry? Moving to a new country. I did that at 25. Learning a new language, a new culture. Trying to figure out who I was in Brazil. The financial stress of student loans. So many reasons to experience anxiety. And then as a middle-aged man, the financial vulnerabilities, because now it's not just me, it's my wife and a family. (laughs) The stress of raising children in a city that was very unsafe. What do you do when you can't assure your wife and your children of safety in the place where you live? Relational conflict. The stress of a child really struggling. Walking with a spouse facing cancer. So many reasons throughout life to experience anxiety. And quite frankly, in many moments, I have wrestled with anxious thoughts. And I'm sure if you're honest, you will say, yeah, me too. And yet Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. How can he say that? 
If you don't think you deal with anxiety, well, ask the people around you. <laughs> For example, my youngest daughter called me a number of years ago, and she wanted dis- some discernment around a decision that she had to make. And I was in hyper problem solving mode, so I immediately began it to respond. She says, Wait, 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 Dad. What is stressing you out? <laughs> What's going on? People around us know when we're worried. Sometimes we don't recognize our anxiety to be anxiety. And so we deal with it in different ways. One of the things that I do is I just work harder. If I feel like something's out of control, well, I'll just work harder and bring it under control. Some of us eat more, others eat less. Some of us become more harsh. Some of us just shut down. What is generating anxiety in your heart today? Write it down. Get those thoughts out of your head and then follow the prescription. Follow the prescription that Paul offers. Write down your very specific needs, but don't just write them down. Don't just write them down. Make those specific requests known to God in prayer. Eugene Peterson has written this. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Verbalize them. After all, the Lord is at hand. He's near. When Jesus encourages his disciples to pray to the Father, you know, they're experiencing anxiety. What does he say to them? Your Father knows your needs before you even ask. And so when we're praying, we're praying to the God who not only knows us, knows our story, knows our needs, but he hears our prayers and is ready to answer. To help us walk through those things that would normally sink us into despair. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because God truly cares. And so we take those things that are churning within us and we lay them out before God. We spread them out before Him. And not only that, we cast them on Him because He's the only one who can actually carry those burdens. So we take our present and our future and we put it in His hands. Some don't believe that prayer is necessary or that it's effective or... My second daughter was studying psychology at the University of Montreal, and one of her professors insinuated that when we pray, we're just being weak. Well, it's actually a sign of sanity. Because none of us were created to live without God's help. We all need help. We all need divine assistance. It's the absence of God that breeds anxiety. One of the reasons that we're experiencing so much anxiety in Canada today is because we've removed God from the scene. Many, the majority, overwhelming majority. The absence of God breeds anxiety. If I'm trying to be my own God, it will just breed anxiety because I was not created to be the God of my life. I just don't have that capacity. No one does, other than God. 
So as you pray through your concerns, your anxieties, write them down and then write something beside them. Write down how being one with God changes the way you see your concern, what's causing you anxiety. Reflect on who God is and how knowing who God is will change the way that you look at your anxiety. And you might ask, well, how do I come to a deeper understanding of who God is? We'll talk about that in a minute. Just stay tuned. There's one more thing that we need to acknowledge here when we look at what Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. That word your, it's in the plural. Throughout the letter to the Philippians, Paul is encouraging these Christians to walk together, to care for each other. Paul is praying for them. They are to pray for him. We were not meant to walk alone. We are deeply social beings. Those who did well during the pandemic had a vibrant relationship with Jesus, and they were walking together with other followers of Jesus. And maybe for a season that was just on Zoom, but even that on Zoom was so good. When you're in a life group or a discovery group, you have the opportunity to share your requests, to share your concerns. People provide counsel. They pray for you. And not only that, you hear the concerns of others. And you pray for them. You get beyond your own anxieties and you begin to think about others, and that is very healthy. So if you're not in a discovery group or not in a life group, I urge you this morning to join one. Please do. Don't walk through 2023 alone. You weren't meant to. Paul writes, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so when we pray, we enter into the presence of the one who's greater than all of our troubles, Amen. greater than all of our concerns. And what I find, quite frankly, when I go before God with my anxieties and I say, Lord, what is it? What's at the root of this? What's at the root of my anxiety quite often is unbelief. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm actually not trusting in God to be able to carry me and take care of my concern. I'm still trying to solve things on my own. Unbelief. Practically, I'm actually not trusting in God. And when I acknowledge that to be true, I need to own it and repent for it. God is merciful. He never rejects a repentant sinner. And what happens most often is God replaces my fear with faith. And fear and faith, they can't occupy the same space. When we begin to remember how God has been faithful in the past, we will thank Him and trust Him in the present. We'll trust Him to be faithful with us no matter how great our concern is. Gratitude you'll notice that people who are full of thanksgiving, people who are grateful, they are people who trust God. It has always amazed me how some people in the midst of tremendous suffering are full of gratitude. Gratitude flows from their lips. Paul says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and 
there comes a promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? When Paul says that the peace of God will guard our our hearts and our minds, he refers to our whole person. He's talking about our thoughts, our emotions, our will. In other words, the peace of God will infuse our thought life, change our emotional state, will make decisions from a heart that is at peace. Steve Cuss, he's a pastor, a leadership consultant from uh, Colorado, and he writes, displace your pressure with the presence of God. It's a good way of summarizing what we're talking about this morning. Displace your pressure, displace your anxiety, displace your concerns with the presence of God. The peace of God is a gift to those in Christ Jesus, those who are one with him. God's peace replaces worry at the center of our being. So receive the peace. Receive the promise, sorry. Receive the promise. This peace of God will surprise us. It's beyond our intellectual powers. It transcends our intellectual powers. Even in situations when we think that the peace of God is inaccessible, if we're in that place of prayer and we're practicing the presence of God, the peace of God will surprise us. And it's far much better than our own efforts. And then Paul writes this in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Usually when we're anxious, we're not thinking about these things. Whatever is true, dignified, right, winsome, respectable, virtuous, keep your mind on these things. So, what are we thinking about? Sometimes we're thinking about things that just are not true or they're only partially true. Here's an example. And now I'm going to walk on delicate ground because it's fun. Climate change. The media has informed us that we're on the verge of extinction. If we don't change things by 2030, we will not rescue the planet, and our extinction as a human race is imminent. Uh, the cover of Time magazine read a number of years ago, the article, lead article was about global warming, but the cover of Time magazine said, be worried, be very, very worried. The media rhetoric around climate change has become more and more extreme and less and less moored to science, less and less tied to actual science. It's become political, emotional, this narrative that's being spun for us every day. Any event related to climate, it's climate change. You've probably taken note of that. A 2019 poll found that half of the world's population believes climate change will lead to the extinction of the human race. And so what happens? Very practically, children live in fear. There are young couples that are deciding to not have children because why would you bring children into this world anyways? 
What's the point? People are anxious. They're afraid. They're angry. They do extreme things. You probably saw a news item this week. There were some environmentalists that were painting government and bank buildings in London, painting them orange. And when they were being interviewed, they were just expressing their total desperation. When we're in panic mode, we don't think clearly. We make bad decisions. We focus on the wrong things. I'm not a climate change denier. But the climate apocalypse being spun in today's media is not rooted in truth. That's the plain truth. It's not rooted in science. Even though that phrase is used over and over again, study the actual science. We're not on the brink of imminent extinction. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because sometimes we're thinking about things that are very common. They're just part of the conversation. They're a part of our environment, and we're being carried by a narrative, by a story that's not rooted in reality. And we start making decisions based on something that's not true, or at least only partially true. We need to think about what is true and right. And the best thing that I can say is if we want to think about what is true and right, let's ground ourselves in the Word of God, let's study gospel truth, and remember who actually has the whole story in his hands. Paul goes on to say in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so what the Philippians have received through Paul's teaching, what they've seen exemplified in his life, they are to practice those things. We who follow Jesus, we need to look at Jesus' teachings, look at how he lived, and then follow him. And follow people like Paul who also followed him. What should we practice to nurture God's presence in our lives and receive His promise? Some people ask me sometimes, Ray, what do you, Pastor Ray, what do you practice in order to walk in oneness with Jesus? And so, let me just take a minute to share with you what I practice on a daily basis. And maybe this will help you. At least it's an example of someone trying to nurture God's presence in his life. So what I do in the morning is I begin the day in worship. And so in worship, I remember who God is, that He's my creator, that He's the Almighty One, that He's my life, that He's my shepherd, my friend, my provider. There's so much to remember about who God is. I remember what God has already done. So I not only remember His character, but I remember how He has lived out His character. And then I invite the, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to me through His Word. I believe that the most effective way to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus is to meditate on the Scriptures. If we really want to come to a fuller understanding of who Jesus is and increase our trust in Him, the best thing that we can do is meditate on the Scriptures. Now, you will find that many people will encourage you to meditate. And quite often what they mean is they're talking about the emptying of the mind. No, when we're following Jesus, what we're doing is we're filling our minds with God's Word. 
And it's God's word that changes us. To hear from God, I follow a simple Bible reading plan. There are many uh, Bible reading plans out there. I use this one that was prepared by our staff team, Bible Reading Journey. You read through the whole Bible in two years, read the New Testament two times, the Psalms two times. It's a great guide. Do that on a regular basis. And ask God to speak to you through His Word. We'll land on passages like the one that we looked at at the New Year's Eve prayer summit. So Lamentations chapter 3, 22 to 24. There it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. So as I look at that passage, I meditate on what's being said. The steadfast love of the Lord, that's His loyal love. That's His bonded relationship love. That never ceases. His mercies, that word refers to God's tender loving kindness, the kind of love that a mother has for his child, her child. It, it, it never runs out. God is faithful. His faithfulness is great. That's His reliability, His trustworthiness. And they're new every morning. I can experience them in a fresh way each day. Just think about how that would change my perspective or your perspective if you just meditated on those few verses as you begin your day. Oh, I'm going into this day with God present in my life. And He loves me. And His love is loyal. And His tender loving kindness for me it will not end today. It will never end. And I can experience this love and this mercy and this faithfulness in a whole new way today, in a way that I haven't experienced it before. This is going to be a fantastic day. It's important for me because quite often when I be, get up in the morning, I don't know what you're like, but when I get up in the morning, my mind is already racing. I'm already thinking about people that I'll meet, things that I have to do. There's already, a there's already a certain anxiety within me. And I need to hear God's word to me in the morning. God's faithful. Because of who he is, I can lean on him today. He's not going to change. I can count on him. So, having taken note of these insights, I, I write them down. And then I ask the Lord, okay, how does this change my day? If I've written down my concerns, my requests, how does knowing this about you change the way that I look at my anxieties today? How does it change the way that I look at the meetings I'm going to be a part of today? Or if I'm working on a project, how does knowing this about you, Lord, the fact that you're loving and merciful, how does it change the way that I'm going to work on that project today? It changes my perspective. And I find that throughout the day, the Lord will prompt me in different ways in relation to the word that I've studied. All of us, as disciples of Jesus, we need to fill our minds with things that provide a proper spiritual perspective. And maybe you say, well, I'm just not sure how to understand God's Word when I read it. Well, earlier you heard about some courses. Take that course with Pastor Rob, reading the Psalms. You know how Pastor Rob faces cancer? 
reciting scripture. For years, every day, he has recited Psalm 90. That's how he experiences God's peace. He knows God's presence with him. It's not because he has some unusual capacity to face cancer that you and I don't have. He's a man who meditates on God's word. It's in his heart, in his mind. It guards him. He's in Christ Jesus. Changes everything. God has that for each one of us. He wants us to live 2023 with a spiritual perspective. He wants us to hear the prohibition here in Philippians chapter 4, to nurture his presence in our lives, to follow the prescription given by Paul, to receive the promise, feed the perspective. In 2023, let's feed this perspective. Rather than listening to the anxious thoughts in our minds, rather than being carried by social media trends, rather than just being, you know, carried by the narratives being spun on mass media, let's feed on God's Word, and that will change everything for us. Because we'll live remembering who God is, who truly has the story in His hands, who is present to carry us, to lead us, to guide us each day. Memorize passages like Lamentations chapter 3, 22 to 24. Memorize Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. Uh, Kids Ministries here is very intentional about encouraging the children to memorize Scripture. That's so good for kids. So good for students. So good for young adults. So good for middle-aged adults. For the elderly to have God's Word in our minds, in our hearts. And as we go through the day, then we can feed on that truth. And often what I find is there are opportunities for me to share those truths with others. If I've meditated on God's Word in the morning, memorized it, opportunities show up throughout the day to share that truth with other people. So take Pastor Robert's course, Reading the Psalms. Uh, Dr. Mark Westner will teach a course, Introduction to Biblical Studies. You can take that conference, conference uh, called Covenant with Dr. Dan Block. Get into a discovery group. Get into a life group. The point is, find a way to nurture your soul by sitting in the Word of God on your own and with others. And you know what will happen? God will bless us with the opposite of unhealthy anxiety. Not only will we receive peace, but Paul ends verse 9 in this way. The God of peace will be with you. So we won't just receive peace as if it's a commodity that enters our hearts. No, the God of peace himself will be with us. The ultimate source of peace will be within us, God himself. And that changes everything. And so I say with Paul, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything that you're going to face in 2023, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's some questions for your reflection.